Um, I usually spend my falls in the pumpkin patch, so it's a bit of a shift to the graveyard, but (laughs) we'll see. I might throw some pumpkins in there too. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Hello and welcome to another episode of Keep It Fictional. I am here with my book friends, Fiona, Liz, Sadie, and Corinne. And we are here for part two of our most anticipated reads of fall 2021. So if you missed last week, please go back and listen to the 15 books that we talked about, ones that we are really looking forward to reading this fall. Today, we are going to finish off our picks and we have two more to go for each person. But before we do that, we always have to have a existential question. Today's question is also related to fall. There are four more months left in this year. And so, you know, just to see how we're all doing with our reading goals, I would like to ask my book's friend for the rest of the year, what are your reading goals? And you can tell us about ones that you already completed if you have set some goals in the beginning of the year and tell us what would you like to accomplish in your reading life? Mine is usually just a number. I usually just set a number through Goodreads at the beginning of the year and try to read that many books. I'm not doing well. I will be very upfront about that. I am not doing well at all. I think I'm about 10 books behind on my goal. So my focus for the fall is just trying to read. I think I said it for a hundred this year. So trying to get the rest of my books in before the end of the year. Pretty stress inducing when you use good reason. They're like, yeah, how many behind? And I'm just like, ah, no. Right. I know. Ah, I can't catch up. (laughs) My newest tactic is kind of alternate between listening to music when I drive to work, listening to podcasts, listening to audiobooks, all audiobooks, just audiobooks now. So I constantly have an audiobook going as well as another book to, because I'm not usually a double reader. Like I don't uh, tend to read more than one book at once. So that is my tactic. Channeling that Fiona audiobook energy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice, nice. How about you, Liz? What are your reading goals for the rest of the year? Similar to Sadie, at the beginning of the year, I set in an overall number on Goodreads. However, I do pretty much try and capture everything that I read in that number. So whether it's, you know, a novel, a memoir, a picture book, a graphic novel or a manga, like every everything goes into that number. But in previous years, I wanted to read at least half of that number in, you know, actual novels or like at least novella-sized works. So not including the graphic novels, manga, and picture books. This year, though, I seem to be kind of at the two-thirds mark or a bit above uh, in terms of like matching that number for more substantial works. So I'm hoping that I can equal that. If I put all my picture books in, I feel like I would be so far above my goal. 
but I don't, I won't do picture books. I feel like we have this debate before. What, what counts as a good read book? <laughs> At some yeah. point, I know we talk about, and I know there's some very strong feelings from Miss Corinne about what counts as a good reads <laughs> book. Indeed, everything counts. Everything counts. Everything is a book. Does it have a cover and pages and or is a story? Hmm. Is it a book or not? Hmm. Hmm. Sure, they're all books, but yeah, no, don't. it does not count. <laughs> does not count. <laughs> to each their own. To each their own. Yeah, because now you have to do separate math, right? Like this is from, okay, well, two thirds, half, what are the ones? So you have to recount. Nah. Anyway, that is a debate for another day. Fiona, what? have you got for your reading goals? Um, like quantity is not super great this year. So I have made a last part of the year goal, which is to read some of the books off my actual bookshelf. I get a lot of really great book gifts, but, and then they sit there unread because they don't have a time on them. So, you know, if I'm traveling over the country, maybe I pick one of those up and take it with me rather than take a library book, but obviously haven't been doing that a lot lately. So in order not to get behind on my other reading, I think I'm just going to try to read four books from my shelf because it's the worst when you get to December and you don't have enough books from this year for your like 2021 picks. And of course, these are all older. So four books from my own shelf and then, you know, continuing my other reading. See all the things we're doing for this podcast. We change all our be- reading behavior, even just for all of you, so that we have books to talk about from the year. Miss Corrine, how's your bookshelves? Are there books that you need to read on there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there are. Um, I, that, that is a good goal, uh, Fiona. That's a very good goal. Am I going to do that? No. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Yeah, I think, honestly, I have still been kind of like struggling through the pandemic brain reading slump and haven't quite been able to get myself back out of it. So my goal for the rest of the year is to kind of take it easy on myself and just read things that I want to read. And I usually set a very low Goodreads um, number for myself and then blast past it in a couple of months and then feel really good about it. So just to kind of like alleviate the pressure off myself. But I've got a couple of reading lists that I'm trying to go through. Um, so my goal is to kind of finish finish one particular reading list that I've been enjoying because that kind of motivates me rather than number. When you got some good fall books coming out that you're going to read, right? 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 I'm definitely going to read one of them. <laughs> I have another goal, which is to steal as many as I can from everyone else's um, looking forward to get to it first, talk about it. Wow. <laughs> wow. Spite. That started as, as like a really nice, like I just, I'm going to read the books that other people recommend and then turned into this <laughs> dark. I want to steal their books. I want to write. Yeah, you really snaked on us, Fiona. <laughs> what about you, Virginia? What's your goals? Sort of similar to Fiona. I would like to read the books that I have bought because I felt like, looking at what I've got like I haven't actually read a lot of books I've bought and I keep buying them and so I should I need to stop 
but I don't want to. So I better start reading some of them, including some really long series that I have that I should really, really get going. But I think the more important habit that I need to develop in the next four months is write down a summary of a book or like what I think of a book at the end. Stop going to read the next book, which is what I normally do because there's not enough time to read all the books you want. But I don't have any recollection of books that I read last week. So it's a really, really bad thing. So I need to write it down so I can remember it. So that is my goal. Book journaling. I added a, a not going to know the terminology, but on the spreadsheet that you wonderfully created, I added a line for reasoning for why I gave a particular book the rating that I gave it. And I use that for that purpose to write down immediately as soon as I finished the book, my thoughts on it and why I did or didn't like it. So the spreadsheet can help so much. That's a great idea. Yay. Okay. See, we'll spend another episode on a spreadsheet next week, maybe. Anyway, so thank you everyone for sharing their reading goals. So I hope you accomplish it with some of the books that you're going to tell us about in the next an hour or so. So Corinne, shall we get back to our alphabetical order? Yes. Yes. And now that I'm confident that it's A, B, C, I am ready to go. Um, so for the kind of like first bit, I went on my my lighter genres, like like a nice murder mystery, a nice romance, a nice little like light fantasy. Now it's time, um, as Sadie has, to kind of like delve darker into the season. And so the first book that I would like to talk about in our second part is the kind of misname book, Nice Girls. I will admit the cover really speaks to me. I love like a little window with a light on and a neon. I know. It makes me think of cheap motels. And for some reason, that really like appeals to me as a venue slash very specific genre. You could shake your head all you want, Virginia, but it hasn't really steered me wrong yet. So this is a kind of dark, twisty, turny. I think if you're a fan of like Megan Abbott's books, I think this is kind of in your wheelhouse because it's very much like an examination of girlhood, an examination of womanhood, an examination of like how society views women and how that can kind of put them into boxes. And then you break out of the box and you attack another box. Then you throw the boxes in the air and scatter the ashes to the wind. So this is Nice Girls by uh, Catherine Dung. And um, it is about Mary and Mary used to be a nice girl. She was the whiz kid in her very, very tiny town in Minnesota. She was kind of like the golden child that everyone was looking up to. She had been accepted to an Ivy League college. She was going places. And then we meet Mary now. Mary has been kicked out of Cornell for unknown reasons, is back living with her father who barely speaks to her, and has just gotten a job at the local grocery store. Mary has hit rock bottom. And she won't tell anyone why. Not that everyone in town doesn't have questions because they don't really care about her because they are more focused on the disappearance of their newest golden girl, Olivia Willand. Now, Olivia is a rising social media star in their tiny town. The darling, everyone, everyone who is everyone pays attention to her Instagram account. And she has mysteriously disappeared. Now, this is breaking the town apart because Olivia was so well-known as just like this sweet, wonderful, 
pure angel. At least that, that is what everyone thinks. Mary knows the truth about Olivia. Mary knows that Olivia is a willful, sharp manipulator. And Mary begins to think that Olivia's disappearance might just be another stunt. Because what Mary remembers and that everyone in town seems to have forgotten is the disappearance of another young woman, 19-year-old DeMaria Jackson, whose case was ignored and was written off as a runaway. And so Mary starts to think that perhaps these two cases are connected. What has happened to Olivia, what has happened to DeMaria, and maybe what happened to her are all connected. And she will discover that there are no nice girls. This is kind of like a little psychological twisty one, which is not always what I gravitate towards. But um, the author, I believe, used to work in law in Minnesota. So I'm kind of interested. I'm always interested when a lawyer sits down and writes a book because you really believe that they've seen some stuff. So I am, I'm curious to kind of like see this one. I think it's a debut novel, which I'm always very interested in kind of seeing a, a new, new, new voice kind of bringing something. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Mostly the cover. Great cover. Great cover. Fine premise. Uh, thank you, Miss Corinne. A psychological thriller. That is not your thing. Interesting. Going dark. Everybody's going dark. Fiona. Not me. <sighs> I've chosen something lovely and wonderful. Both of my picks for this episode are sequels. And this one is the sequel to a much beloved novel, YA novel, Aristotle and Dante, Discover the Secrets of the Universe by Benjamin Allier Sands. Um, and this is Aristotle and Dante Dive into the Water of the World. I am so, so stoked for this one. I feel like the first book was maybe an early YA read for me. Like I had not read a lot of YA and it just really, really captured my heart. It is about Aristotle, aka Ari, and Dante, who are both Mexican-American teens in the late 80s uh, living in Texas. And it is about their growing relationship and love that develops between them and this new book sounds like it's going to be a lot of the same <laughs> which is great but it's a topic that I really appreciate which is you know love after the happily ever after obviously they're still teenagers uh, this is still high school I think it's their final year but it's about the challenges that they have to deal with being gay in the late 80s looking at their cultural identities uh, I think there's some you know dealing with uh, people outside of their their couple um, some feelings outside of them maybe uh, so that'll be interesting and uh, Ali you're saying just has a really soft gentle voice that just like has a romance that normally wouldn't appeal to me but it's just so sincere and lovely uh and these two characters are very believable as as teen boys um Ari is kind of repressed and Dante's this playful optimist that sort of gets him to come out of his shell and in this second book it sounds like Ari's going to make a lot of changes uh, and maybe stop being that sort of 
quiet kid and maybe be someone who stands up for other people and what he believes in. So there are two characters that I really love and I'm excited to see uh, the growth in both of them. But I think in the end, they'll probably have a happy ending and that is, um, you know, nice to read. Nice to know that you're going to get there in the end. So that is Aristotle and Dante dive into the waters of the world. And that is coming out in October. Thank you, Fiona. Love how when they offer us, they just continue to, like, it's like a good sitcom, right? Like it's got the characters that you love and then it's just keep going and doing the same thing. But that's okay because that's why you love them in the first place. So, all right, Liz, what have you got? Okay, so... I have a debut author here, and this book is coming out in November. Now, this one is called Win Me Something, and it's by a new author called uh, Kyle Lucia Wu. And this is a work of fiction, and it follows Willa, who is a biracial Chinese-American. Growing up part Chinese, part white, Willa has lived in a world of sort of opposites. Now, on one hand, she has felt hyper-visible, and yet on the other hand, she's felt unseen. On the one hand, she has felt like she's been too Asian. And on the other hand, she's been made to feel like she's too white. So throughout her life, she's had the feeling of having an outsider status um, and not fitting in. And this has been further intensified by her parents' divorce. Now we fast forward to her after she's completed college and she's in her early 20s and she ends up getting a great employment opportunity. She ends up becoming a live-in nanny for a very wealthy white family. And it's through her integration into their lives as their nanny and observing what their lives are like, what their expressions of familial love are, how the child is growing up and, and how the child moves through the world that Willa starts to contemplate a bit more the feelings that she has about her own personal identity and why she feels the way she does and what she can do about it. So this is a story that's been touted as uh, one of finding belonging and connection, whether it's with your biological family or the family you choose. Now the publisher has said that if you enjoyed Kylie Reed's Such a Fun Age, you may enjoy this. However, I've also read that this book doesn't have any sort of explosive moments or moments where big things happen. She's simply going through her life and being part of another family's life. The child is not one of those creepy children. Thank goodness. Those books really creep me out. Not a creepy child, apparently. So that's good. Family is like any other family in that it has their ups and downs. They're not perfect, but they do have love for their child. So they're not particularly unlikable, but more on the likable side from all accounts. And there's no sort of earth shattering event that kind of throws Willa into a tailspin. It's just, this is the way her life has been. These are her inner thoughts and feelings that she's had to deal with. So it just seems quite fitting, I think, that as she's moving through this stage in her life, that she's continuing to contemplate and to take lessons from what she's experiencing. Uh, with other people, and trying to find some peace within herself. So that is Win Me Something by Kyle Lucia Wu. Thank you, Liz. 
So if you don't want creepy child read Liz's book, if you want creepy child Liz's read Sadie's book from last week. So we have everything for you. All right, Sadie, what is your next book? So I am continuing on my stories about death with the book Corpse Queen by Heather M. Herman. So again, a very atmospheric book that is just going to take me right to the graveyard this fall. Um, I usually spend my falls in the pumpkin patch, so it's a bit of a shift to the graveyard, but we'll see. I might throw some pumpkins in there too. So Corpse Queen is listed as a dark and twisty feminist historical thriller. And not necessarily right in my wheelhouse, but it does have the historical aspect that I really enjoy. So we'll see if I can get behind the dark and twisty thriller aspects of it. So this story follows Molly Green. And Molly Green is 17 years old and orphaned. And unfortunately, Molly has just lost her best friend, Kitty. Um, And Kitty's death is quite mysterious. Uh, They're not quite sure how she died. And uh, Molly is sort of left in this world completely alone. Now Um, she was living in an orphanage and Kitty was sort of her only friend. And now that Kitty is gone, she has absolutely nobody in this world or so she thinks. That is until she learns that she has an aunt Now, Molly has never heard about an aunt. This is the first time that it has ever come up, but Molly is told that she is going to go live with her aunt. Molly assumes that this is just some sort of domestic labor that she is now going to be providing. Um, This woman who is saying that she is her aunt probably made some sort of donation to the orphanage, and that is why Molly is being sent to live with this woman. But she is very much real, Molly learns, and she is not in any way what Molly would have thought her to be. So Molly heads off to Philadelphia. It is the 1850s at this point, and she meets her very, very wealthy and very, very mysterious aunt. Now, her aunt has made her money in a way that most people probably would not think of as being a legitimate business. Molly's aunt Ava has made her money by robbing graves and selling the bodies to medical practices for medical students to to do anatomy on. And this is how Molly's aunt has made her many, many uh, bags of money that she has. So Molly has now arrived and her aunt Ava is training her to take over this business and to work in this business of robbing graves and selling them to anatomy students. Molly is not quite sure how she feels about that, but she she starts to learn learn the trade. Uh, She goes into the dead of night. She goes and explores the graves. Uh, By day, she explores her aunt's mansion and she gets to witness these anatomy lessons that are being done on these corpses. And she finds that she is both horrified, but also very, very intrigued by these anatomy lessons. However, as a woman, Molly is not immediately invited into these lessons. Um, This is not a place for a woman. And so Molly has to figure out how she can get into these lessons and learn more about this practice. But as she learns, the cost of that inclusion is very, very steep. 
And at the same time, there is a murderer on loose. And so Molly is battling outside forces from many different sides in her new life in Philadelphia. So I think this is going to be very high paced book, lots of dark kind of, like I said, atmospheric scenes of historical Philadelphia. It's a, it's a time period that I do really like to read about sort of the 1800s. Uh, so I'm excited to see how, how thriller ish it gets. And if it, if it gets uh, too thriller ish, we'll see. It might be another one where I read it during the day and watch some nice, gentle comedy afterwards. <laughs> so that was The Corpse Queen by Heather M. Herman. Thank you, Sadie. So I'm going to immediately go into my book because I also have a book about body parts. So I um, need to go in there <laughs> while well, I can segue this into this. <laughs> I see Corinna's like, oh, it's back. Her body parts thing is back. Anyway, so this book is... Also slightly different from what I have been talking about and not what I normally read. It is definitely kind of on the left field for me. And, and this is actually one that I haven't read yet. So I'm looking forward to, to reading it and see what it's like. Ever since I read The Twilight Song by Nona Fernandez that I talked about on the ASRC episode, I think I've been kind of like a little bit obsessed with like books about people that are living under the dictatorship or living like sort of in like a really corrupted government kind of deal and I've been kind of seeking those books out and I find that of course I don't want like a, a straightforward historical fiction that's just not gonna work for me um, so I'm always looking for some that are just a little weird maybe a lot weird absurd or like it's just have some magical realism or just surreal just some weirdness in it because I can imagine living in one of those places is probably going to be pretty weird um so that's kind of what i was looking for so this fall there's a book coming out that i feel like will fit into this so i'm looking forward to reading this and it is called chronicles from the land of the happiest people on earth and it is by wale shoyinka now the book when i saw the title i'm like that sounds like some of those like those uh, self-help books that talk to you about how like you should like adopt the danish way of living you know and how you can like be sane and all that i don't know but it is not like that at all obviously wale shoyinka is the first black writer to win the nobel prize for literature and that was in like 1986 and he's more well known for his plays and his poetry and also his essay collections so he hasn't actually written that many novels so this is quite special and it's been like 50 years since his last novel so this is definitely a milestone and Wally Shenyanka is also a big political activist and you can tell from his books and all his writing that that is front and center in his books um, so this is a sharp sharp satire of Nigeria and it is set in sort of this imaginary country which is kind of like Nigeria and they are trying to defend the title of being the happiest people on earth and they even have a ministry of happiness because that is how happy they are. And they will fight you for that title by any means necessary, legal or illegal. And so in this chronicle, you're going to meet many different characters, many different plot lines. And they're all about people kind of living in this country, basically built on lies and corruption. One of the story um, is about Dr. Manka, who is a surgeon, and this is where the body parts come in. He is he has noticed that lately in his hospital, body parts have been missing. 
things that got cut off, I guess, in his during surgery, are gone. And he vaguely remember that he was visited by this representative, and they call themselves the the primary resources management people. And they said that their slogan is that they're dedicated to combating waste by maximizing human resources, whatever that means. So when he noticed that these body parts have been disappearing from his hospital, he has to enlist an old friend to find out who is stealing these body parts, limbs, and organs. I think they said that this is kind of like a, it's kind of phrasing the whodunit kind of um, thing, but it's not really just like centered on the mystery. There's going to be lots of things and it. it's a pretty dense book because there's so many um, storylines in it. And they said that if you know Nigerian politics, you might recognize references to people, uh, real people that are in there, but I don't have enough of a background of it, but uh, it is still supposed to be enjoyable because it is such a well-written satire. Um, so I'm looking, looking forward to that. And of course, books like Fiona said, this is how I like to get my history through the novels and then go you know, on the internet and dig deeper to learn more and get more background from it. So I am looking forward to reading this. So again, it is called The Chronicles from the Land of the Happiest People on Earth by Wale Shoyanka. I love that your body part slash cannibalism through line. I haven't talked about cannibalism for so long. So you have to give me that. Hey, even Sadie has body parts in her box. So that's true. That's true. It's contagious. Anyway. All right. For our last pick, last pick, everyone. So lock it in. (laughs) You need like a big dinner bell. Last call. Last call. Corrine, what have you got? Yeah. Ew. Oh. I mean, I'm glad that we're at the end of this journey because now I can just like walk away from those picks and maybe like devote more of my time to the picks that I didn't talk about. I feel so bad for them, my little abandoned book children all over the place. So I apologize in advance because when I am describing this book, I am inevitably going to mess up the name quite a few times. The title of it is The Death of Jane Lawrence, but I am absolutely going to refer to it as The Death of Jean Lawrence because Jean Lawrence is the name of someone that I went to school with. So it's going to happen. I apologize in advance. The title is definitely Jane Lawrence, who I believe actually there's a sculptor named Jane Lawrence. But anyways, it's going to happen. And for my very last pick, I felt like I kind of had to go atmospheric. Fall is a little bit gloomier fall is all about the spook fall is all about the scares so i decided to go with my new like favorite subgenre which is gothic horror <laughs> and so this is i feel like in the realm or kind of like cresting that wave of mexican gothic of kind of going back to those tropey stories of lady trapped in crumbling manner with something really going wrong it's very much in that but i am curious to see where this particular author takes it. I'm hoping in a good direction. And I kind of like the time period. So it's in kind of post, a, a shadowy post-war England. So that's also a time period that I'm, I'm very interested in reading about. So I'm going to, I'm going to give it a try and we'll report back as to whether, I mean, Mexican Gothic for me was 
one of my my favorite reads of last year. So I'm trying to I'm trying to find that that feeling again, that special thrilling feeling of things going horribly wrong, and horribly wrong they will. So Jane, as the name kind of implies, is practical and unassuming and and very normal, and so when she sits down and takes stock of her life and does the calculations, she realizes that in order to get what she wants, to continue her work, to be able to to live the life that she would like to live, she is going to need to find a husband. She's not really fussy. She's hoping for someone who kind of has their own life, has their own career. And so she can kind of get that mantle of respectability and then go on with her business. She takes a look around town and eventually stumbles on a reclusive doctor named Augustine Lawrence. He seems very uh, an upright citizen. He seems very kind. He has his own job to which he is conveniently very devoted to and would have to spend a lot of time out in the village helping people. Um, so she figures that this is the best option for her. And so like anything in her life, she single-mindedly goes out marries him, and he seems amenable to the idea. He only has one condition. They can be married, but that is only possible if she promises never, ever, ever to visit Lindridge Hall, his crumbling family manor that he lives in. I mean, the manor is pretty ugly and, as mentioned, crumbling, so Jane really doesn't have a big problem with that. It seems like a good solution for both of them. However, one night there is a terrible accident. And wouldn't you know it, Jane is forced to escape from the wilderness to Lynn Ridge Hall. However, the Dr. Augustine that opens the door is not the husband that she knows. He seems in a panic terrified of something. He's a man who can't tell what is real and not real. He seems to think that Jane is some sort of apparition, some sort of ghost sent to torment her. She manages to find her way into the manor, lock the door, find somewhere to sleep, and in the morning she is greeted by the smiling face of her normal, very sane husband. Jane knows that something is not right. And being a practical, self-assured person, she is going to find out what the mystery of Lindridge Hall is. Perhaps, as the title would imply, to her death? I'm looking forward to it. I love a good gothic horror. I love a lady in a crumbling house running around in like a nightcloth going, often holding a candelabra. So I'm into it. (laughs) Thank you, Corinne. My question is, does it have mushrooms? I mean, if it's a crumbling hall and it's England, which we all know is damp, um, I think a mushroom will make an appearance. All right. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, Fiona, what have you got for us? Your last pick. All right. Like I said, I've got another YA sequel, The Marrow Thieves by Sharif Dean This one is called Hunting by Stars. So if you don't know, The Marrow Thieves was a post-apocalyptic survival story about French, a young indigenous man living in a world where most of the population has forgotten how to dream. And this causes insanity uh, in those people. 
However, it turns out that Indigenous people carry the ability to dream in their very, the very marrow of their bones. So they are hunted and sent to schools, basically where that is extracted to be used uh, for white people. It was a gripping, excellent novel, which obviously, although it's set in the future, has a lot to say about our present and past as a country. I loved it. I loved the way it was written. And I kind of liked that it was a standalone. It was very unassuming and understated, and it just felt like a good standalone. So I'm a little bit like hesitant about this, but then I was like, what am I talking about? I'm totally going to read this. Uh, There's no way I'm not going to. However, (laughs) I'm further hesitant because I was also really excited for her last book, Empire of Wild, which was an adult book. And I really, really didn't like it. After like loving the Marrow Thieves, I was like, yes, I will read anything she puts out. And I couldn't get through it. It was about like uh, the Rogaru legend, which uh, seemed like really cool. And it just was not for me. So we'll see what this one has to offer. It is going to pick up with French again. However, in the opening, he finds himself in a cell uh, without any of his friends and it becomes clear that he has been captured by people who run the schools. In the first book he uh, he loses his family and creates this great found family who all sort of survive in the wilderness together to escape. It sounds like he's going to be without them for at least part of this book which will be interesting to see French develop on his own. And the description seems to imply that there's going to be a little bit of bargaining that is necessary when they do eventually meet up. It's not in great circumstances. And maybe some sacrifices have to be made, some decisions about whether your life or someone else's is more important, uh, which is both upsetting and horrifying, but you like can't look away from it. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited because the first one was just, uh, I think, I, I don't know if it was her first book, but it really made uh, an impact. Uh, definitely looking forward to Hunting by Stars, the second book of The Marrow Thieves by Cherie Dimeline. Thank you, Fiona. You're stealing from everybody because that's Sadie's book, wasn't it? Like Sadie talked about that book on this podcast, so. You have reached your goal that you just announced. I think so. I think that's one from everyone. Good job. Nicely done. All right. Next, we're going to go to Liz. Would she have a memoir for us? Would she have a graphic novel? Would she have a Japanese book in translation? None of the above. (laughs) Okay. So I am going back to young adult land and... This book is the second book in a duology. And I, I don't have many series that I've read. I don't have many authors that I, you know, are like must-reads every time they put out a book. Um, but this was one that I've been waiting for. It doesn't come out until November. Sorry, everybody. But I did manage to read an advanced copy. So above all the other books that I had sitting in my room, I was like, I'm going to read this book that doesn't technically exist yet. So this one is Our Violent Ends, and it's by Chloe Gong. 
and it is the second book in her duology, and it takes place immediately after the events of these violent delights. The entire series, can we call it a series? Duology just seems like a really long word. It's based off of Romeo and Juliet. Not detail for detail, but pretty much in many of the most important and key ways. So we continue the story in 1920 Shanghai, and it is still ruled by two rival gangs, the White Flowers and the Scarlet Gang. So gang heirs and former lovers, Roma Montagog of the White Flowers and Juliet Tsai of the Scarlet Gang had collaborated in the second book. So the two sworn enemies who had secret relationship were again put together in a perilous circumstance so that they could work together to save their city so that both gangs would not crumble, so that they both had a fighting chance at retaining a hold over the city. However, even though they defeated their common foe, or so it seemed, we were left at the end of the book without giving away too many spoilers with Roma believing that Juliet had betrayed him. He was left with the impression that all of those feelings that they were fighting, all of that romantic tension, that those were all lies. And that above all else, her loyalty remained with her gang. So Roma's mad. Now enter into the second book, um, Our Violent Ends. And we are back around the same time period. The two gangs are still ruling. The mechanical insect plague has disappeared. But sure enough, it has come back. Sightings of monsters releasing this mechanical plague that causes people to tear their throats out has made an appearance yet again. And not only that, but the communists as well as the nationalists are amassing support and looking to overtake Shanghai, which definitely puts the White Flowers and the Scarlet Gang in their position as the authority in the city uh, under a microscope. So you guessed it, once again, these two young star-crossed former lovers are thrust together. However, this time, Roma is torn between kissing Juliet or ripping her throat out. And meanwhile, Juliet, even though this pains her so much, she has to keep up the ruse that yes, indeed, she did betray Roma because she feels that by keeping each other apart in their illicit love, her only love sprung from her only hate, but that is the only way that they too can survive in this mixed up crazy world of theirs. Lots of violence. I love how this book just gets right into it. A uh, bit of a doorstopper for me anyways, because Chloe Gong has done all of this buildup in the first book as to setting the scene of 1920 Shanghai and the gang structures and also the cultural diversity in the sights and the sounds, because she's already set this up, she's now able to jump right into the story. So you've got violence, you've got mayhem, you've got characters you already know, and you have those smoldering scenes of tension every time their hands linger too close to each other, or every time they have to go undercover together. What more could you ask for in a YA book? Totally love this book, so sad it's a duology. But this one is called Our Violent Ends by Chloe Gong. Thank you, Liz. I think the heat is really getting to all of us. 
Marcus Liss series, violence, romance. What is happening? I don't understand. <laughs> All right, Sadie, for your last book. All right, I'm I'm going back a little bit to more of a classic Sadie pick. It is a fantasy read. It is a heist novel, uh, which I am very excited about. Uh, it is Among Thieves by M.J. Kuhn. And uh, this story follows Rhea. And Rhea has done her best to earn herself a quite a good reputation in the city of Kerouac. Um, she is quick, the quickest and deadliest blade in the entire city. However, Rhea lives a little bit of a double life. Uh, Rhea is not her real name. She has a secret and she is constantly trying to outrun the Guildmaster. Now the Guildmaster is the ruler of this kingdom and of the five kingdoms um, in the world where Rhea lives. And no matter how fast she runs, no matter where she travels, his servants are always just on her heels and Rhea finds that she can never outrun them. This next part of her story is going to take her even closer to the Guildmaster than she may have wanted to originally and that she may have ever thought would happen. It's going to take her right into the Guildmaster's stronghold. And she finds that she's not going to be able to accomplish her task and get into this stronghold by herself. Enter her team of heist mates. It is a group of miscreants, smugglers, thieves, a ragtag group of kind of unwanted people that all find each other to break into this stronghold and accomplish this task. Each one of them has their own selfish reasons for wanting to be a part of this team, for wanting to get into the Guildmaster's area. And so each of them kind of deals with their own betrayals, deals with their own their own personal reasons for this. And Rhea finds that she might not actually be able to trust them. Or maybe she can trust them. She's not really sure. Uh, so I'm excited. It sounds like a fun kind of heist book with a bit of a dark, magical kind of fantasy twist to it. It's kind of going back to, to kind of what I really like about uh, that kind of fantasy book. I'm thinking it's going to be a little bit reminiscent of maybe Six of Crows um, in that kind of fantasy heist style. Uh, I believe it is an adult book. It's not a YA book, but uh, maybe on the verge of adult and YA. Uh, so yeah, so I'm very, very excited about Among Thieves by MJ Kuhn. Classic Sadie. Yay. Heist, heist, heist. <laughs> so good. All right. Um, so for my last book, I am going to also go for a fantasy, but this one is YA. I'm going to go to a local Vancouver author, um, I believe is also a debut novel. There are many, many, like, you know, we talk about this podcast, many different kinds of fantasy out there. And a lot, of course, these days, we've got lots of like different kinds of inspired fantasy. So if you're looking for an Asian kind of setting kind of fantasy, you know, of course, there is the sequel. Uh, yes, I am sneaking more books in. The sequel to Bongshar Daughter coming out this year, Bongshar Emperor. There's also the last book in the Greenbone Saga series by Fonda Lee, which is called Jay Legacy. So those are two 
Excellent, excellent, excellent fantasy that are not that are set in some sort of non-Western world. But this one is also that, and um, I wanted to talk about it because I think if one of your goals this year is to bring down the patriarchy, then this is the book you've got to read, and it's got I think one of the best cover for this year. It is. Iron Widow, and it is by Siren J. Chow, and again a Vancouver author, and she has an awesome author photo. You should all should go check it out because it's reason why she's that looks like that is because she has said that if she can publish a book within like ten years, I believe it is, then she's going to dress up for her author photo. That's why her author photo is whatever it is. So I'll leave you to go check that out. During Asian Heritage Month, I talk about a book called "She Who Became the Sun." I hope some of you actually got to read this book by、um, Shelley Parker Chen. It's a book that is a retelling of the first emperor of the Ming Dynasty in Chinese history and reimagining that as a queer woman. This book is also features a real Chinese historical figure, and her name is Wu Zetian. And this is the only. Female ruler that China has ever had, and she ruled for more than forty years, including sort of like really secretly behind. Like you can tell that she's the one who's really pulling the strings behind the husband or like you know the son, you know. But really, she has all the power, and she started out as a concubine out of like the many. Hundreds that her husband has, and she sees power, and then she climb up that ladder, and she finally become the only empress in Chinese history. And I kind of vaguely remember my history teacher talking about it. And I can tell this figure really inspired her the way she talks about her. So this is the story of Wu Zetian, but in a fantasy, well, more like a, maybe a science fiction kind of world, and. In this world that is created by Siren J. Chow, we have China, who is constantly being invaded by the Hundens, and the Hundens are these mecha aliens, robots, aliens, and they are just constantly trying to get into the country. And to fight them, we've got the Chrysalis, and these are. Also, giant robots. So think of them as like your Macross, your Gundam, and they are piloted by a male and a female duo, and they are psychically linked when they're in those robots. But even though they're both required to pilot the robot, they get completely different reception. The males are like the celebrities. They are praised for their courage, their honor, and their like strength and their power. Whereas the women, they are basically nicknamed concubines because they are kind of like I think one reviewer described them as like they're the energy bars. They are the ones who get drained, who get sucked out of all the energy, and very often, ninety percent of the time. They died because the males will take all the energy and just suck them dry, and then they died in all the battles. Not killed by the Hundens, but killed by their fellow pilots. So they are quite dispensable in this world. The government is always going around the different villages trying to find kids who have high spirit energy, so that they can be potential candidates for these chrysalis. And Wu Zetian. Was going in for a test for this test to see whether she has enough spiritual energy, but she's not doing it because she wants to serve her country. She's doing it because she wants to avenge. 
her sister's death because she is sure that her sister was killed by one of these male pilots and she wants to find that pilot and avenge her death. And of course, Wu Zaktin turns out to have unbelievably high spirit energy and the government, when they find that out, they wanted to control that. They want to find a way to make use of that. But of course, you can't control Wu Zetan. She is unstoppable and earns the title of the Iron Widow because she ends up being the one who overpowers the other pilots for the first time in history. It's such a wild ride. I get pumped just talking about this book because it is so amazing. You have action you have this court intrigue because you know like she end up getting involved in in sort of a lot of that court stuff you know once she started to gain power um there is of course lots of talk about sort of the role of women about sexuality about gender there's even romance in it but it's okay it's a very different kind of relationship that is in there and there are max and giant robots so I really don't know what else you want. So check out this book, Local Offer, Read Local. It is an amazing, amazing reimagining of a Chinese figure. It is Iron Widow and it's by Siran J. Chow. Is it a series, Virginia, or is it a standalone? It's a series, I'm pretty sure. <sighs> okay. I, uh, I, I sometimes wait on a series until all of them are out to read them, but that sounds so good. Yeah, I was like, I, I can't, I'm not going to wait. But this is, yeah, this is <laughs> super good. I'm, it's a series. It better be a series. It better <laughs> be a series. All right, so that is our most anticipated reads for fall 2021. 25 amazing books. You know, I hope one, you will pick up some of them. And please do let us know what you are looking forward to reading and leave us a comment, you know, on our video um, and on our podcast. And we'd love to know what books you are excited to read about. So we will see you again next week. Um, have a good day and uh, happy reading. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional.